Our scripture this morning is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, half of a verse from chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes, and I will show you a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, now we, we, um, we see as in a mirror dimly, but someday when you come again, in the second advent, we will see you face to face and we will be known even as we are known. And we long for that day, a day in which love will be complete and we will be perfected in love. Lord, teach us now what it means to live into the future, into that reality of the things that are to come. And help us to see that love in the flesh is in the person of your Son, in whom we put our hope and our faith, and whom loves us. And we pray in his name. Amen. Perfect love is the final form of a person that is fully redeemed. Perfection in loving is the full restoration of the image of God in us. Paul says that love never ends. Um, love never, never breaks down. It, it doesn't fail. While much of our lives is preoccupied with um, things that one day will cease to be relevant or to go on, those things in our life that have to do with true loving will never come to an end. Love never ceases, love never breaks down, because God is love and God never ceases. And according to Paul, the human being that is complete in maturity and not a child, is one that has been set free to love. 
look at what Paul says at the end of our chapter here. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, or an adult, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Love is the greatest. Completeness in love is Paul's image of, of a mature humanity. A fully mature human being is a person that is perfect and loving. Now it's easy to read this passage and to sentimentalize it, to read it as a kind of spiritual poem of sorts about human love. But what Paul is doing here is he's speaking about love as the ultimate reality. He's not speaking romantically, he's speaking cosmologically. The, the whole world, the entire universe is ordered to love, to the love of God. And this fits uh, with the understanding of the Bible in earlier parts. It talks about love as being uh, a summary uh, of the whole law of God. Um, if you remember in the Gospels when Jesus is questioned by the Pharisees, you know, what is the greatest commandment? What is the, in other words, what's the law mean, Jesus? And Jesus' response is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. But the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The law of God in its totality is the content of love. This is important. The law of God in its totality is really the content of love. It's its whole purpose is love. And this fits very nicely with 1 Corinthians 13. What Jesus is saying here about love is, is that love is basically the interpretive lens through which you need to understand all of reality. The law is really about love. And if you miss that, you miss the whole thing. That's what Jesus means, that all of the law and the prophets depends upon this, right? That you understand that the law points us towards love. If you don't understand this, you don't understand the law, you don't understand the Bible, you don't understand the universe, you don't understand yourself. Love is the grain along which all the universe runs. Now, I think what's valuable about this passage is that it's the way that Paul gives us what you might call um, an, a hermeneutics of love. Forgive my academic language here, but it's really the best word, hermeneutics. It means, um, it, hermeneutics is the, is the art and science of interpretation, right? It's, um, it's a hermeneutic, it's an interpretive lens that we can apply to our personal lives. Hermeneutics has to do with making judgments about reality, what is true, in particular, what is true in an invisible sense that we can't see right on the surface of things. If the whole cosmos is ordered to the love of God, then we need to have the right lens through which to see and interpret that reality, to understand how we fit within it, right? And so that's what I wanna do this morning, is just give you a, a little bit of that lens, flesh that out a little bit and apply it to our lives. Are we living our lives in, in line with the grain of the universe as love? Are our lives ordered to the love of God? Um, these are actually, really difficult questions to answer 
um, in our lives. Because it's very easy for us to lose our focus of the love of God as the focus of our life. And Paul recognizes that. When it comes to love, we're easily self-deceived. We're easily self-deceived and we're often out of touch with what is the true character of our, of our lives and, and, and our loving. And so, again, we need a hermeneutic of love. We need, in other words, an interpretive lens through which to evaluate ourselves and our interactions with the world. And, and this is what I think Paul gives us here. Now, it's, it's helpful. Um, well, let me just say this. This is a passage that is frequently misunderstood because of the way that it's, it's been uh, romanticized. And, and, you know, you think of this as a passage you read at weddings and things like that. Um, and Paul's expression here is, is, it is poetic and it's beautiful and it's moving. Um, but you need to understand that this passage actually was written as a devastating critique of the Corinthian church. Um, when the Corinthians read this passage, their response most likely was not to swoon or to feel, uh, you know, warm inside. Most likely they felt judged. And it's helpful just to remember the context of the city of Corinth and who Paul is addressing here. Um, the city of Corinth um, was, unlike a lot of ancient cities during this time, and it was a very new city. It had, didn't have a lot of history and culture. Um, it was a city that, that was um, very commerce-driven, uh, very lifestyle advancement-driven. Um, in many ways, I think the city of Corinth is more like the modern city uh, in the West than any, than any city in the ancient world. Um, it was a, a place that was marked by, again, ambition and, and entertainment and... <laughs> Um, you know, moving up the ladder, making money, getting rich, you know, making your big break, all those things, right? The, the city was very much like that. And so Paul's vision of, of love that he presents in this chapter is very much clashes with the value system of the city of Corinth and the congregation. And it clashes with, with ours as well. And the irony and the sting of this passage is that the Corinthians themselves are, have a very high view of themselves as Christians. Uh, they, they actually kind of see themselves as super-Christians. Um, they, 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 they talk about being mature. This is a code word for them. They, they use maturity, spiritual maturity. Um, they're very spiritual. They have lots of knowledge. That's a big deal, too. They, they know theology, lots of theology. Um, and, and they're always pointing out how talented and how, how great the spiritual gifts in their body are. And, and so, how is it possible that they can be spiritually immature and worldly Christians, if all these things are true? And, and the how it's true, according to Paul, is simply this, is that they fail the test of love. Right? They fail the test of love. They have right doctrine, for the most part, <laughs> Right practice, kind of for the most part. And they have oodles and oodles of charismatic, talented people who are doing great works for God. And they still fall short. And it's because they fall short on this, this one thing, love. But that one thing is the most important thing. So in our efforts here to, 
to, to give you a, a hermeneutics of love, an interpretive lens to understand love, there's, there's two core distinctions I want to focus on this morning. Um, two distinctions that we need to be able to make in our own lives as it relates to our loving in our lives. And there's a lot more here. I'm going to come back with one more sermon next week on this. But the first distinction is this. We need to learn how to distinguish talent and character. We need to learn how to distinguish in our lives between talent and character. It is possible to have incredible talent and giftedness and skill and knowledge without the holy character of love. Or let me put it in slightly different terms, more theological terms. We need to learn how to discern the difference between the operation of the gifts of God in our life from the operation of the graces of God in, my li- in your life. And let me, let me spell that a little bit more. The operation of gifts or spiritual gifts is they accomplish great things in our life and in the world for the sake of the kingdom of God. Right? That's what spiritual gifts are. They're, they're great things that God uses, talent for, for people, for his kingdom and his church for the wor- in the world. The operation of grace, though, or the graces, accomplishes great things inside us by transforming us into the image and likeness of Christ, which is summed up with the word love. Right? Both are operations of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts and spiritual graces. But it is possible for them to be separated in our life. It's possible for them to be pulled apart. And in the previous chapter of Corinthians, Paul is addressing spiritual gifts. There's, he's going through the, talking about giving instructions on how to think about them. They're for the upbuilding of the body. Everybody has them. He recognizes that. However, he recognizes very clearly here that it is possible to possess lots of spiritual gifts from God, but in the use of them, for this, even for the sake of building up the body, they aren't actually accompanied by transforming love in the lives of those who possess them. If I speak in the tongues of men, again, tongues refers to a gift, and of angels, and I have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Paul here mentions three gifts in particular, tongues and prophecy and faith. Faith, you could think of the, the gift of leadership, you know, move mountains to move people in a certain direction. It is possible to possess all of these gifts to a superlative degree that is in, really in, <laughs> impressive, grows big churches, but not be personally transformed in sanctifying grace by them. There is a huge difference, again, between being a talented and a gifted person and being a person whose character is marked by love. And if you were forced to have to choose between being a person of great talent and ability or a person of great love, Paul would tell you every day of the week, choose the latter. It is better to be a person of love than a person who is really talented and gifted. 
Now, there is a perennial danger in the life of the church. Um, well, it's not a danger, it's just we simply don't make this distinction between talent and character. Uh, and especially in our age, in an age that's obsessed with celebrity, with platforms, with, is what I call the bigger, stronger, faster Christianity. I mean, that's the Christianity of the city of Corinth. It's bigger, stronger, faster. And we as Americans are particularly attracted to that. that we, we somehow we think and associate that God's at work there, right? Sometimes God is at work in big things. I'm not saying that's not the case. But what we end up doing is we, we confuse talent with character. And what's interesting is that Paul never does this, even in all the passages around church office. When he talks about the requirements, he kind of gives you the job description a little bit. On those lists, what you'll not find, almost at all, are, are qualities that re relate to giftedness and skill sets. Uh, what you will find that list are, are, are character qualities that relate to our moral fiber, hospitality, humility, righteousness, purity, gentleness, not visionary leader, inspirational speaker, executive competence, right? These are not bad things. The church needs these things, and God gives these things, but don't, I mean, we make this mistake all the time in the life of the church, where we see a, a, an inspirational leader, speaker, can just bring in people through the, through the doors and grow a church really quick. And we think that that person is actually also holy and loving and has a lot of character. And it's not a case that that, that person doesn't. But too often in, in the ministry, in the American church, and this is, a, this is true of church history, character or talent outstrips character. Again and again, talent outstrips character. That you, we have churches filled with people who are incredibly talented, but whose character um, is wanting. And as long as everything's going well in the church, right, things are growing, that is not really revealed, right? But when troubles come, when a person's ministry is challenged, or things don't go the way we want them to go, right, that's when the character gets revealed. And the best case scenario is this. A person flame, just flames out of ministry. The worst case scenario is what happens all the time is usually the person takes the whole ministry down or divides a church, right? There's just too many examples. You guys fill in with your own examples. You know what I'm talking about. Talent and character are not the right same thing, right? And this doesn't just apply to the life of the church and leadership in the church. Paul is telling us, true as well, is that true growth and maturity in life involves growth in loving. And I would say that where I would apply this in a non-church kind of way is, is simply this, is like in our culture, we tend to think of maturity as a vocational um, accomplishment and career success, vocational competence and career success. So you get established in your, like, you, you know, you've made it, right? You've, you've gone through it, you've got a good job, people recognize you as an expert in your field. And, and we tend to see, well, this is a mature person, this person has made it, right? And, um, but that doesn't necessarily translate into true maturity. Um, because again, Paul is working with a very different value system than, the, than that of the world. Just because we're accomplished in our life, we make money, we're responsible, you know, we run businesses, we have lots of employees that we manage, does not necessarily mean that our character has been transformed by love. That we are indeed loving people. And yet, according to Paul, according to Jesus, 
Love is the most important thing in the eyes of God. God, friends, God cares much more about the kind of person that you are than what you do. See, our culture has it backwards. We are defined in our significance and meaning and identity by the things we accomplish. And we think, ah, I've made something. But God says, no, it's who you are. It's your character that is the most important thing. Now you might be wondering, okay, (laughs) how can this be true? That God cares more about who I am than what I do. Why is this the case? And the answer is actually quite simple because it relates to the image of God. It is possible to exercise all kinds of gifts and talents to a superlative degree in your life. To just be good at what you do. And people just recognize that and they praise you and they recognize that in your life. But even when we're using those things to benefit others and benefit the church, the exercise of them does not necessarily image forth the true nature and character of God out of our personalities to the world. Gifts tend to Gifts that are used well, talents that are used well, they, they can be extraordinary, right? They can, they can just attract a lot of attention and praise and admiration in those who possess them. But love, but love is an ordinary grace. It's an ordinary grace that is easy over, easily overlooked as mundane and boring. In the eyes of the world, loving people are boring. They're boring and mundane. And yet here it is where the very nature of God is revealed most in our lives in the ordinary and humble ways of loving one another. Behind the scenes, behind closed doors, when nobody's looking, when it's just our family, right? Those close to us. And so friend, God would rather have you, have us as a church, accomplish less extraordinary things as an institution, as individuals, if it means that in order to love him more and embody his loving character more in our lives. He would rather do, have us do less, achieve less, if it means that our lives will look more loving and be more loving. So that's the first thing. And you realize why I couldn't go through too many of these distinctions on one Sunday. So I have one more. So the first distinction that, of the hermeneutics of love is knowing the difference between talent and character. Right? They're not the same thing. The second one is knowing the difference between morality and sincerity. Paul says, if I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Now, Paul here makes another very critical distinction that I think we just tend to blur together. We don't don't see it. We tend to blur a life lived in pursuit of moral goodness and righteousness or courageous self-giving and sacrifice with a life of love. But the hermeneutics of love requires a distinction here between moral goodness and sincerity of heart. There is a difference between moral goodness and sincerity of heart. Think about the person that Paul has in mind here. This is a person who has made great personal sacrifices in order to do the right thing, right? They have devoted their life 
to the poor and the vulnerable. They have devoted their life to fighting injustice. They have given their life to serving the Lord in the pastorate, in full-time ministry, or in the missionary field. This is a person that's so committed, they're willing to suffer and die and even become a martyr, right? Their body is burnt for the sake of what is true, for the sake of the gospel, right? And these types of people we look at, if you're not that person, and you can be very morally praiseworthy or like, you know, admiring of this person and these folks. I fit into this category, right? So I'm, I'm, talk, I'm critiquing myself in many ways. People with this devotion and passion, um, again, we, we kind of hold up. But Paul tells us, again, there's a distinction here. It is possible to be this kind of a person and yet lack love. And when this happens, we gain nothing. We gain nothing. All our devotion, all our moral heroism, our spiritual heroism is meaningless without love. If you are a morally and spiritually serious person that is passionate in particular about different causes or different things that you've sacrificed a lot in your life for, that many people are unwilling to do, if you've given your life and serving the Lord, you need to be on guard against confusing your moral commitment and your sacrifices and a life of love. One does not necessarily equal the other. When I was in high school, I had the opportunity to go on two mission trips to Haiti. And I have a distinct memory of, of when we went on these trips, we went to build uh, a couple schools. And the, the missionary that we worked with there was an elderly missionary that had been serving um, in the country almost his entire adult life. He'd been there 20 or 30 years. And I have this distinct memory of this, this man because it was so hard for me to reconcile the fruit of his ministry um, with, with his negative personality. Um, again, I mean, he had divided, devoted his life to serving God in Haiti, which is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> it really, I mean, just incredible poverty. And I mean, even to this day, it, you know, we see the, the difficulty there. And so there's, there's something really admirable, and I, even at the time I was like, wow, I'm not sure I could live in Haiti for 20 or 30 years. And yet, my experience of, of this man is he was extremely short-tempered. He was very moody and cynical. He, was, he seemed to always be upset, <laughs> especially with the people he was serving. Um, he didn't seem to have very much joy in his calling. Um, I mean, God had clearly used him to do some great things in the country of Haiti. Um, but he seemed extremely unhappy and dissatisfied. Um, now, I've seen this, this kind of pattern um, repeated in, in since those days, many years ago, uh, again and again. Within the ministry context, within anywhere where people are serving and giving their lives in, in really meaningful ways that cost them, I've, I've seen this, this kind of dynamic, um, I don't even know what to call it, maybe a martyr complex, I don't know. Uh, I don't have a good name for it. But I've, I've seen this dynamic, I've seen it in my own heart, that, that when you undertake a difficult calling and you've given up a life of ease to serve the Lord, whether it's working for the poor or racial justice or living in radical Christian community or just full-time ministry, whatever it is, there's often this, this sense that sometimes where... You can be very dissatisfied. 
you don't see the fruit you're hoping to see happen, your expectations aren't met for your ministry, nobody seems to take the issues or the problems as serious as you take them or seems to be as committed as you are, You experience lots of, of suffering and that costs you a lot and nobody seems to see it or appreciate it or know what you're undergoing. And when this happens, it's very often, it's easy to become disillusioned, to become brittle, even cynical. And what happens is love dries up in our hearts. Love dries up in our hearts and yet we keep going because we're committed, right? We're committed and we're going to do it. But nobody else is doing it. We're going to keep doing it. But what ends up happening is we become more and more brittle. And I think that's what unfortunately happened to this, this missionary. But if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not loved, I have gained nothing. So what's missing? What's missing when this happens? What's missing is sincerity of heart. See, it, it, what's missing is sincerity of heart. Sincerity of heart... Is, has to do with that we, we do it for love of God and because of love of God, love of neighbor, not for love of ourselves. When this is so hard for us to do, though, is like even when we're, we're giving ourselves away, there's a way we can still do, we can, do, we can undertake sacrificial, um, sacrificial uh, lifestyles and things that subtly become really about ourselves. It's a way of loving ourselves. Sincerity of heart gets to the deep heart reasons and motivations for undertaking difficult callings and tasks. What are we doing it for? Are we doing it for ourselves? Are we doing it because we want to feel like we make a difference to the world? Are we doing it for the Lord? The opposite of sincerity of heart is hypocrisy. And I, I think that's really important. We all struggle with it. And Jesus' comment in teaching on hypocrisy, I think, is really important here. A hypocrite, I mean, again, we have a character in our mind of what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite, we generally think, is somebody who says one thing and does another thing, right? There's a gap between their words and their actions, but that's actually not what Jesus means. A hypocrite, hypocrisy pushes much deeper into our hearts. It's not the gap between words and deeds. It's a gap between right words and deeds, and the internal state of our heart, right? It's the, it's, you can have all the right deeds and all the right words and anybody who looks on from the outside, but then in your heart, there's an internal gap and division. That's, that's hypocrisy. Sincerity of heart is for us to do, is, means we love and we do these things for the sake of God and for the love of God. We don't do it out of self-love. We don't do it to be famous. We don't do it to, to even see the fruit. We do it because it's the right thing to do and the Lord has called us and we are responding to him. When the love of God is the reason we undertake these difficult callings, it is that which his love that sustains us through them. And that's so important because, again, when we, we lose the love of God as the reason, to do the things we're doing, we actually also then also lose the, the energy, the vitality, the endurance that we need to do it. Because then, we're, again, it's just about ourselves. Now, in reflecting on this passage, 
I want you to remember, I mean, and keep in mind how God-centered Paul's vision of love is. And it would be easy to miss this, right? Because nowhere does Paul mention God explicit. He doesn't mention Christ. He doesn't mention the Spirit or the Father. And yet the whole reality of love here is only made possible as a theological reality, that God is love. This passage is a hard-hitting passage about the nature of love, and it applies directly to our own lives. However, increasing our moral efforts and striving and focusing in on ourselves is actually not the way we become more loving. The way we become more loving is actually looking away from ourselves, looking to the God who himself is love. And so there's two, two things I just want to close with to reframe for us. The way we grow in true love, first and most importantly, is we grow in our union with Jesus Christ. Growing in love means growing in union with Jesus Christ. He is the perfect human being. He is love in the flesh. He is our model, but he is also the one who, when we are united with him, we become more loving. And because of that union, here's the second thing, is that love itself, is, it's just not a static thing. It's not just like a character quality. Love is a dynamic, vital reality that's living. And because of our union with Jesus Christ, we have this dwelling, indwelling love within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is what connects us to the ascended Christ and unites us with Him. And His Spirit has been poured out into our hearts. And love dwells in us. I want to draw your attention and close with this quote from Jonathan Edwards that I think captures nicely the truth. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of love. And therefore, when the Spirit of God enters into the soul, love enters. God is love. And he who has God dwelling in him by his Spirit will have love dwelling in him. The nature of the Holy Spirit is love, and it is by communicating himself or his own nature that the hearts of the saints are filled with love and charity. Brothers and sisters, that is the gospel that God has poured his Spirit upon us, and it is a Spirit of love, and he imparts himself to our very lives and nature. And we, through the Spirit, are filled with love and charity. Let's close. Father, we give you thanks for the love we have in Jesus Christ, uh, that you loved us before we loved you, um, that you um, are the energy of our love and the direction of our love, and that someday you promise that we will be perfectly conformed to the image of the Son, which is to be perfectly formed in love. And as we long for that day, and as we uh, enter into Advent and we, we think about the coming of Christ, we think about what that means for us is, is a perfection of our natures in love. And we long for that, Lord. We give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen.